So we interact with God's Word this morning. In the bulletin, we list worship through obedient listening. And as we interact with God's Word, our intent is not merely to fill our head, but to live in light of God's Word and how He ministers to us. A thought question, I'm not looking for you to verbally respond. If Satan could lure you to neglect three items in your life to make you ineffective and unfruitful in your walk with God and with Christ, what items would Satan select? If Satan could lure you to neglect three items in your life, to make you ineffective and unproductive in your walk with God and Christ, what items would Satan select? One of them would be to neglect corporate worship. As we discussed last week and we'll discuss this morning, and keep in mind that corporate worship The idea of worship itself, the definition of the word means to bow down, prostrate oneself. It also involves the idea in the New Testament of standing in awe of God. Jer, worship assumes an object, and the object, the one we worship, involves God, and it involves Christ, as we mentioned last week. And corporate worship would involve prayer, teaching, ministry of God's Word in some way, Lord's Supper, body life, giving, and then singing as it relates to corporate worship. And this morning we want to look at a number of passages of Scripture. We know Genesis 4, Psalm 115, John 4, the book of Acts, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, 1 Timothy, Hebrews 10, all time with worship. But we want to look at the book of Revelation this morning. The book of Revelation. And as we look at the book of Revelation in chapter 1 and verse 19, we find that John writes the following. And maybe we could say kind of an outline of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. Christ is instructing John, write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place. Chapter 1 seems to be what John has seen. Chapters 2 and 3, what is now. Chapters 4 through the end of the book seem to be what was future from John's perspective. Keep in mind also, in light of verse 1 of chapter 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is a single revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ is being revealed, seeing concerning Christ what was not seen about him in the Gospels. In verse 8, we find that God is speaking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In chapter 1, 
Let's read beginning with verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of the death and Hades. John having a vision of Christ. Christ revealing himself in his glory. John's response, I fell at his feet as though dead. Turn over to chapter 4. In chapter 4 and chapters 5 of Revelation, we're dealing with a heavenly scene, a throne in heaven. Beginning with the middle of verse 6 of Revelation 4. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The living creatures, or live, the first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day after day, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give honor or glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their thrones before the crown and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And that was talked about in verses 1 through 5. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. 
Then I looked and heard a voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Turn over to chapter 7. In chapter 7, we find the sealing of the 144,000 taking place after a number of the seals in chapter 6. But in chapter 7, beginning with verse 9, after the sealing of 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were all wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders asked me, these dread in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits in the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Again, a heavenly scene, those who have come out of what is called the tribulation period. In Revelation chapter 15, we find that we have the seven angels with the seven last plagues. Beginning with verse 1. And I saw in heaven another great and miraculous sign. Seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image. And over the number of his name, they held harps given to them by God. And sang the song of Moses the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, 
and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. That's in the context of judgment in chapter 16. In the context of God's wrath and the seven bulls we find in verse 4. The third angel poured out his bull on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, You are just in these judgments. You who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and have given them, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Let's go over to chapter 19. We find that Christ is about to return, the rider on the white horse. But in verse 1 of Revelation 19, After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her idolatries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Many times we think about the book of Revelation and we think about future events. From John's perspective, yes, future. In many respects, from our perspective, future but see it primarily as the unveiling of Christ, the uncovering of Christ that the Gospels do not uncover. And in the uncovering of Christ, we find that revelation is so very, very powerful in worship. The context of God judging, Christ judging, but so very, very rich again in Worship, worship of God and of Christ. The unveiling of Christ in Revelation ties in with Philippians 2, 5 through 11, where it talks about Christ humbling himself, that being seen in the Gospels. But it also talks about the fact that because he was obedient, he's going to have a name that is above every other name. And Revelation ties in with that aspect of Philippians 2, 5 through 11. So as we think about worship in light of passages that we have not discussed to this point, but overall, worship must begin with, continue with, and end with a passion for God's glory. It's not about our desire in worship, but God and Christ. Glory. Corporate worship is not a time where we come with our agenda. We come with a passion for God's glory. Knowledge, understanding and experiencing of the Lord and of Christ is central, foundational to worship. Think about daily living. 
walking with God, walking with Christ, being sensitive to the Spirit, and experiencing their working in you, on your job, in your family life, as you may go to school, and then coming together. In light of a growing knowledge, we together worship the Lord. Knowing the Lord, Lord's, as well as Jesus Christ's standard for worship is essential for their glory and worship. I'm not looking for an answer, but do we know their standard? I've listened over the years about worship, about music, and what type of worship should there be? What type of music should there be? And the question that goes through my mind repeatedly, what does God say? We know according to John 4 and verse 24, and we're not going to elaborate on it, but God and Christ's standard in worship involves worshiping in spirit and in truth. It involves the heart. And as we touched on last week, it involves prayer, scripture, communion, body life, giving, singing, but in spirit and in truth. Obedience is written all over the passages related to worship, just simply obeying as we worship God. Most passages speaking of worship are corporate, not individual. I realize the Psalms may vary on that some, but overall, they're corporate and just being faithful and consistent in worship. From my reading and observation of worship today, we're concerned with worship style and music style, but seem to have little understanding of what the Lord and Jesus Christ desire in worship. I'm not saying one style of music over another. I'm not talking one style of worship over another. But lay that aside. What is God's will? What is Christ's will in worship? We may have worship wars for style worship and worship wars over style music. But what is God's desire? What is God's standard? And we're not going to elaborate on that. This morning. But I think sometimes we forget that. That it's about God. It's about his passion. If we worship correct. And that's in order. Life individually and corporately seems to fall into place in order. Oh, there'll be be struggles, but yet a dependency upon Christ. Worship seems to bring other things in life into proper perspective. Corporate worship is so very, very vital. On a scale of 1 to 10, walking with God, corporate worship moves us along to 7 or 8. Neglect it. We tend to be stagnant at a 1 or 2. 
Worship is so very, very vital. Worship as a local church, within marriage worship, within the family worship, and individually worshiping. Bowing our wills, our hearts to God. A couple of things to ponder in the context of worship. Worship forms us. Thus, content, consistent, faithful worship is vital. Worship forms us as a body, as an individual, as a couple, as a family. Planned worship into our schedule is vital. Planning life around corporate worship. We become, excuse me, we become what we worship. Psalm 115, 1 through 8, talks about idols that are made. And the psalmist says, those who worship them become like them. We live in a culture that worships instant. You don't believe me? The next time you pull out your phone, and you get on your phone, or you turn on your computer, and you have to wait 15 seconds. By the time you get to second three, what's wrong? You get to second 15, you think, I have to buy something new. God is not what I would call instant. Worship forms us, it makes us week after week, month after month, year after year, just faithful, consistent worship forms us. The instant, I'm not saying it's wrong. But there's no instant forming of us as individuals or as a couple or as a family or of a church. It takes time. It forms us. And tied in with that, corporate worship creates bonds which cannot be formed in any other manner. It's natural. It's just the outflow of worshiping together. This morning as I was walking around praying, I was thinking about some individuals that have gone on and left this earth. And I thought, so-and-so sits here and -and so-and-so used to sit here. A bond. It came about just through years of worship. If corporate worship is in order, most of the rest of church life and family life and individual life will be in order. That doesn't mean there's not going to be any struggles or difficulties, but worship influences life in a very, very deep and powerful way. Recognize, too, that much so-called worship today trains us to be consumers and not worshipers. 
I'll give a couple examples, and I'm not knocking them. I just want you to see how they train us. You go to a concert. You're listening. Not wrong, but it's listening. You're a consumer. You pay for it. We have a praise team in some local churches, and I've read and listened and so on. And they say that the congregation is less apt to participate in congregational singing when there's a praise team, but yet singing being a corporate. And again, I'm not knocking either concerts or praise teams. I'm just saying being aware that we can be trained to be consumers. Lack of desire for corporate worship indicates spiritual sickness in one's walk with Christ or families walk with Christ. There have been points in time in my own life where I've said, God, what's going on in my life? I don't have the same passion and desire to get together with other believers like I may have in the past. Show me my heart. What's wrong? Tied in with that genuine worship as they want to, not a have to. How many times when you were a kid, maybe you still do it, and if you're a kid today, you might do it. Do I have to go to church? <clears throat> as God works in us and we're coming to mature in him, I want to be with other believers. I want to sing with them. I want to pray with them. I want to give with them. I want to respond to God's word with them. See, corporate worship as an essential family time. It shows what we value. Our family, our children, non-believers quickly see what we value. Some of the greatest times as families, as a couple, should be when you're corporately worshiping together with other believers. Our enemy, Satan, has lured us to doubt our need for consistent, faithful corporate worship. Many times we don't plan life around it. It's essential. It's valuable. Important in our lives. Let me go back to the question that I posed at the beginning of my sermon If Satan could lure you to neglect three items in your life to make you ineffective and unfruitful in your walk with God, with Christ, what items would Satan select? I think three of the core are corporate worship. Secondly, body life. Thirdly, shepherding. Shepherding and body life we discussed a number of weeks ago. But worship, body life, shepherding are essential to a healthy church. Just like a tripod, healthy church in the top, worship, body life, and shepherding being so very, very important. So pose a question as we wrap up our time this morning in Scripture and explaining it and applying it as the Lord spoken to you. If so, will you respond?
and obedience. Corporate worship involves scripture. We read a chapter of scripture each week. invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Amos chapter 8. Read a portion of scripture without any comment. Again, we do that with intent, with with purpose. And over a period of years, we collectively as a body cover a lot of scripture. JT?